0: D20 Radio, your gamers role. wwwd 20 radiocom
1: Welcome to me and Steve Talk RPG, the podcast where me and my friend Steve try and help you get the most out of your role-playing game experience. Hey folks, welcome back to me and Steve. I'm back here tonight with my friend Steve. Hey Steve. Hello, how are you this
0: evening? Oh, doing pretty great. Yeah, winter's finally here. I would just like to point out, in the last week we went from fall to winter to spring, to now we're back to winter. This is true.
1: <laughs> so, as it's gotten cold, that means it's a good time to stay inside and listen to podcasts.
0: Yeah, and you know what one of my favorite podcasts to listen to while staying inside? What's that? Court games.
1: Court Oh, the Court Games family of podcasts here on the D20 Network. Yeah. Yes, they have actually three on the network. There's uh, the one that is called Court Games, which is a Legend of the Five Rings, let's call it a discussion podcast. They talk about the game, various you know elements of lore, tricks, tips, all kinds of stuff like that. And then they have actually two actual play podcasts also on the network. One is called Fortune and Strife and unfortunately i can't remember which one's which between the two but there're two actual plays fortune and strife and the other one's called crimson gold agonies one of them is done much more in the style of an audio drama where they edit out a lot of the game mechanics talk and so forth and the other one leaves it all in as more of a demonstration so depending on what exactly it is that you want it's there and you can find all of those uh, i think their their base website is courtgamespod.com And then they have links and so forth for all of that. But we'll put all those links in the show notes for all of you to find should you want to check that out. Yeah. So what are we going to talk about
0: tonight, Steve? Well, tonight we have a guest. We have a guest again. We do. And I'm very excited to have our guest on this week.
1: From Terrible Warriors, we have Justin Ecock, who both of us have spent quite an amount of time listening to. So welcome to the show, Justin.
2: You're very welcome. It's funny that you describe the show the two of you as the conversation that happens in the parking lot after the game. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. that's of course exactly where the two of you accosted me and threw me in the back of your trunk. And <laughs> now I'm here in, in your, in your basement. This is a message of proof of life to <laughs> my loved ones. I am being fed and well cared for. We're playing a lot of games. So that's nice, but I'm ready to go home now. Uh, I don't know when they're going to let me go.
0: It's nice, but all they do is feed me pizza.
2: (laughs) Hi, thanks for the invite. (laughs) It's wonderful to be here.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you for coming on our show. So we wanted to talk to you a little bit about pacing, because one of the things that you do and your show does especially well is pacing of games and how, you know, how you time things out is just astounding to me because I am Uh terrible at that.
2: That is so nice of you to say. I'm awful at it as well. (laughs) Yeah, you asked me about that, and I went, oh yeah, I do have that. But it's funny, it's not by intention. It just, Terrible Warriors is an actual play podcast where we've been playing different games. When I first joined in 2012, yep, that long ago, uh, we um, played a different game every single month. And we would record them in one-hour chunks for each episode. We record them in one go. And as you probably know, when you're playing a game with your friends, the four hours is a good sweet spot for a single session before you break and come back next week. So we would record four hours. we break them into four one-hour episodes and then do that for eight more years. And you figure out that you actually... That's the only kind of game you can play now are four-hour one-shots. <laughs> you just, you've drilled it into your head. And I've then sought out games that really are like one-shot wonders that you can play beginning to end and get a full story in those four hours. And that became kind of a, a challenge of mine for years. That, a challenge that I am now trying to break. <laughs> you bring me on about pacing the same year that we broke that pacing intentionally on the show to do long-form games. See what that feels like for a little while. But yeah, I've uh, I've run games at restaurants and at conventions, and in those both of those settings, you also have like you have a time limit. and the clock is ticking when it starts. you have to be done in that time. So let's see if I can remember why I, or how I do this and I can maybe impart some some tips to you. But it, you can tell a whole, I mean, you can do a movie in 90 minutes. Why can't you do a full tabletop experience from beginning to end in four hours? I feel like that's an abundance of time.
1: Well, I mean, it should be other than in a movie, you're following a a script and in a game, you're kind of writing it as you go. I mean, as the GM, yeah, you have a plan and you have, I want to do this scene or that scene, but the actors don't have your script. So...
2: But even in a game like Masks, a new generation, which is a superhero game by Magpie Games powered by the apocalypse. you got two things going for you that are really helpful to speed things up, and that character creation is done in like 30 minutes. And the game doesn't allow for anything to be created in advance. You're supposed to wait until characters are created, write down some notes, and then go into it and almost improvise the game. But even in that kind of game, there are still tools to block it out. You're right, it's not scripted. But Curb Your Enthusiasm is not scripted. It's storyboarded. And even if I don't have a script that we're going to stick to, like pro wrestling, I kind of know how it's going to end. And the players are going to change that and throw things and throw wrenches into the works and skip us off the rails. But even then, if we go off the rails, I have another way I think it's going to end. Star Trek Adventures by Modiphius recommends that you have three outcomes for every scenario you have. For each colored shirt, the gold outcome, the red outcome, and the blue outcome for security, negotiation, and science, right? Maybe they're going to fight their way through. Maybe they're going to think their way through. Or maybe they're going to Babble their way through. And if you have those, if you have, if you have like three outcomes already decided on how this could play out, even if your players come up with a fourth or fifth outcome, at that point, you've got so many variations. You'll be able to find the gradient to help you through. So there's no script, but even when you're running the game, I'm still thinking at least a few minutes in front of my players on where are my NPCs? Where are they going to be? What am I thinking of saying? I try to always, even when I'm improvising a game, think about where, if there's a big bad, not all my games will have a big bad, but if there's a a villain or or an antagonist, what are they going to be able to do if my players never play the game? So, you know, they'll go through with their evil plan and they'll resurrect an army or whatever it is. So I know what's going to happen if they do nothing. So if they show up and they just, Faff around in the fields, and they get distracted doing all the stuff. Then, then things are just going to happen without them, and that'll be fun too. And then it's up to them to just interrupt my plans, and and then see where the where the chips fall. So there's no script, but there is a script. There's there's rules to the game. There's your character sheets. If you're playing by a Power by Apocalypse game, there's almost always questions that are asked as part of character creation, and more and more games are encouraging that kind of question and answer part of character creation. And those are all ingredients for the game master to put into their story gumbo you don't have a script but you do have a recipe and i might not know what it's going to taste like when it's done but i know it's going to be done in four hours <laughs> and it's, we're gonna we're gonna cook something and we're gonna figure it out and yeah we're you know players are gonna start throwing random stuff into the soup as we go but my job is to keep it stirring keep the heat at just the right level keep it going and then serve it out and and if we time it right We'll have a nice ending at the end, and we'll all learn a valuable lesson.
1: Yeah. I don't know. I guess for me, it's just always been one of those things where, like, if I sit down to run a one-shot, and it's like, theoretically, quick start one-shot, you should be able to do that in four hours. The last one I tried to run went five, five and a half, and we all had a good time, and it worked, but at the same point, like... It wasn't supposed to go that long. Let's
2: let's go through this then. Uh, this wasn't part of your plan, but now uh, this is. Uh, Mr. Ecock is here in the studio, and he's sitting down with you, and we're going to, we're going to workshop your game. And this was something that I was thinking I might even I I have always wanted to do. I offered it as a Patreon reward, and no one ever took it. So I'm now going to consult with you. <laughs> Okay, so you, you had this game going, you wanted to do it in four, it took five. I go over time all the time as well, but sometimes you just need to start learning where to cut, right? Like you have to edit on the fly and be... Uh, when I ran a game, uh, and I did, uh, there's an episode of this on Terrible Warriors called Sweetwater Bank, uh, and it was a game that I ran a couple dozen times at the restaurant that I ran as a, as a GM for hire. And, you know, I had this game already kind of written out. And eventually you get to the point too, I don't know if you've ever done like script writing where you have to write a script two time. Like it's not about writing a thousand words, it's about writing 60 seconds. You eventually start to learn how to read the outline of the module and you can figure out roughly how long that's going to take. So the Simberum game that we just did on Terrible Warriors, uh, we were playing the the Chronicle game that Free League Publishing put out, and I was able to read through and go, okay, as I'm reading, I'm realizing, oh, I'm not going to be able to get this done in four hours. I'm not going to be able to get this done in 24 hours. Uh, this is, you, you, can, you, you start learning how to break the axe down on how much is actually an hour. And when you're starting, and when I was starting, you think you can do a lot more. And uh, most GMs, especially if they're running their first game, they will over-prepare. So I've learned to really almost under-prepare. So Sweetwater Bank is a game I ran at the restaurant. And I had it broken down. It has to be done in four hours. It has to be played by people who have never played Dungeons and Dragons before. It's played, thankfully, with pre-generated characters because we don't have time to do that. They're showing up to a restaurant they're going to eat. They're going to be drinking as well. So that's going to cause distractions. It's going to be a noisy environment. So they're not necessarily going to even be role-playing. They're eating their dinner and they're they're thinking, oh, this is fun. I, I listen to Critical Role. right? Like They're looking for a, a different kind of experience than when you're at a, at a convention. But it still needs to be done in four hours because that's when the bill is showing up and the table needs to be cleaned and they're going out and I have to clean up all of my stuff. So I also needed to be able to pack my game in a way that was easy to to unpack and easy to clean up so I could get out of the way for the wait staff to then clean up the table and let the next people come in. And so I had it broken into, we need a moment to, for everyone to say hi and to get used to the setting. And that's going to take about 30 minutes to 45 minutes, depending on how they talk about it. But as I'm gauging their interest or if they're, they're into it, and they're also like ordering drinks and food, we're doing that at that time, uh, by the 45 minute mark is when the first explosion goes off in the distance and they go running in and they, they're introduced to the village and to the challenge. And there's like an opening challenge with a sleeping giant and they run around. And I kind of had that opening combat to pad for time. There's hit points, but they don't know what the hit points are. I'm not going to tell them what the hit points are because I'm not tracking hit points. I never track hit points. And that allows me to throttle the pacing of the game so that when it feels like this is a moment where they get the victory, I give it to them. And either the 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 giant smashes a roof off and storms away and that's kind of the lose. Or they kill the giant or any number of things can happen. And I'll play within that sandbox. But either way, at the two hour mark, giant's gotta be out of the way because we need to reveal that under the giant there's a hole in the ground because their goblins have stolen the brewer's mead. And that's actually it's actually a heist. The drag the, the giant was a distraction. So now hours two to three is descending into the cave and tracking this like crime scene and finding out where these goblins are, interacting with the goblins, deciding if you're going to try and win them over to your side or fight them or, or any number of things that can happen. But either way, the goblins have to send this mead to a drop-off point because they've been hired by Grey dwarves, they're the real bad guys the whole time. They're actually here to steal back the mead that was stolen from them long ago by the broomer. And so at the three-hour mark, regardless of where my players are, regardless of what's going on, this cuckoo clock is set and it's going to ring. At the three-hour mark, the villains will make their reveal. So if they've made it to the final room, they'll have a moment. If not, the grey dwarves are going to start marching up the cave going, where the hell are those goblins? They're supposed to be here already. And so I have a number of things that I play within and improvise within, but I also have decided in advance that the NPCs are going to act at the two, three, and four-hour mark regardless of input from my players. And if my players are falling behind or they're taking time, then I'm going to put them into the roller coaster and send them over the first loop-de-loop whether they're ready or not and then drop them into the end. So the, the final showdown is always between the gray dwarves trying to get their mead back. But it could happen in the final chamber. It can happen in the cave. It can happen in the town square depending on where and what the players are doing. And then it always should, hopefully in my scenario, end with them realizing that the person that is the victim, who is the tavern keeper who had his mead stolen by the goblins, is actually the thief all along. He stole something from the Grey Dwarves. The Grey Dwarves are not the villains. They're just trying to get back what was taken from them. So the players have a choice. Do they fight the Grey Dwarves, give back the stolen mead? Do they take it for themselves? Or like, like they have to decide the fate of these players. And ultimately... Because uh, I hate combat, the combat is a smoke screen and it's a red herring, and the hit points don't matter, and the experience, like none of that matters. None of that matters. The only thing that matters is the story of my players and the challenge that I put to them and the choice that they're going to have at the end. And all I'm doing for the first three hours is setting up all of the questions so that they'll have a chance to give an answer at the very end. And that's that's it's a bit like an escape room in a way, but. You know, one of the things that would always slow me down, especially running a Dungeons & Dragons game, and this was a Dungeons & Dragons I know we don't do Dungeons & Dragons on Terrible Warriors, but I this was a and d game that I was doing at the restaurant. And the, the things that can slow you down in Dungeons & Dragons are the rules, the hit points, the map keeping, the traps, the loot. If I'm running out of time because we're taking too long on this combat, then I just need to cheat. <laughs> I need to get rid of the characters, and I need to move them into the next room. Rather... My job is to pace it and to move it along as a GM, not just to follow the rules at the detriment of of our story. The story has to come before everything else. So I know there was a, there was a debate that happened over Twitter just before the end of last year about keeping track of boss hit points. I do, but I kind of do it more like um like Legend of Zelda-style segments where you have a phase one, a phase two and a phase three rather than the actual rules of like they have 65 hit points and you dealt three. So now you have 62 hit points that that can work, but it often doesn't for me. And it mm-hmm. never works if I have pacing. You know, this you're you're a magician. You're you're it's a, it's a bit of like pro wrestling kayfabe. It's a bit like the magician's trick on the stage. Like you want the players to feel like they've earned it. But you are towing the line, also. I'm like we also need to end at eight p m. So my job is to I'm not going to cheat, but I do need to fudge it because I need to do justice to your story and give a chance for your characters to get to the real stuff, which is you know usually at the at the finale. And if you're playing a Powered by Apocas game and you're improvising everything, it's a little different than if you have a module that they're playing. But you're still doing the same stuff you're still tracking where are we okay by hour one i want to have introductions out of the way by hour two i want to have introduced some kind of challenge or opposition or something to chew on and then let them free it let them guide me for a bit but by hour three was we're now into the final 60 minutes we want to either be already in the final scene or we're getting ready to have the final scene. And if it's an ongoing game, it might not be a showdown, but it is going to be like the end of a TV episode. So we want to I want to have a moment to be able to ask a question and find an answer. And I want my players to give me that answer. Then in the final 30 minutes, at that point, we are actually wrapping up. We need to be looking at getting our table cleared up and going over experience points. So if we're still in the story, then I either need to hunt something to the next game and or if there's never going to be a next game i need to figure out what am i going to do right now and i and and things are going to have to speed up a little bit so if i was doing the battle with the gray dwarves and sweetwater bank and we were out of time my gray dwarves had a self-destruct <laughs> they would get frustrated and they would cast a massive spell that would explode the cave destroy the mead and, and might kill everyone in the room but they they're like um they're like those fire creatures in the Final Fantasy games that are slowly getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And if you don't uh, defeat them in four rounds, they will explode. Yeah. So so that's not a hit point thing, but it is a there's a fuse that's also running in the background. And it's going to run out. So your job is to try and get everything there before the detonation. And if you don't get it before the detonation, well, then everything's going to blow up anyways. And that can be fun, too because you you were able to go overtime steve to like five or six hours but if you're at a convention you would have been kicked out of the room by then yeah you wouldn't be allowed to go overtime your game would just end at an unsatisfying middle with no resolution so if you know you have to end in four hours you got to keep a watch on your table you got to keep track of where the time is and if you know you're down into the final bit in your head you're editing as you go okay well i really wanted to be here but instead we're over there well what can I take right now to create that ending? And if you can move your final scene into and just import it into where you are, do it. And if not, have a look at your players. Find out what their story is. And is there a story arc happening with them that you can find some kind of resolution? Yeah. And, and you won't know that until you're playing. Because you know the real crux of it is, of why are you running the game? If you're running the game for them to defeat your monster, you're doing it wrong because the players are playing it for their own story and you need to be their fan. So kind of track it. Like, you know, is this one character, 7C does it really well, where they actually ask the players to even propose what their story arc is going to be. What do they want to resolve in the next hour? What do they want to resolve in the next year? And so you have like your short-term goals and your long-term goals. Mm -hmm. And you should hopefully have had a chance to have that conversation in advance with your players. And if not, if it's something like a convention or a restaurant, you're asking that, throughout your game, and you're learning what is important to these characters and what is not important to these characters, so that when you're running out of time, you can start to twist the knife into them. My uh, Sweetwater Bank story, the uh, the mead is a red herring. Inside of it is actually a stone. Uh, I call it a gazer stone. It's a relic that I invented for the purpose of this game. But what this stone actually is, is a a non-corporeal being that has been frozen into a crystal after it came through some portal at some point. So it's a god, and it's going to tempt you, and it's trying to whisper things. So that's why the meat is so interesting, because you drink it, you fall in love with the meat. It's a love potion for the love potion. And when you make eye contact with the Gazer Stone, the Gazer Stone starts tempting you with all of your deepest desires. I can't tempt the player with their deepest desire if I haven't asked them in advance what's yeah. important to them so i might ask why are they out on this road why do you do this it, being an adventure that sucks you're you don't have a home you don't have money you rarely have food you're sleeping all the time it's it's like Geralt doesn't want to be a witcher <laughs> he hates everything about being a <laughs> witcher so mm-hmm. why are you doing this what motivates you and sometimes they'll be like you know um i need to because of my sick sister, I have to keep sending money back to keep her well. Oh, well, that's perfect. You just handed it to me on a silver platter. In the final scene, three hours now, long after you forgot you told me, I wrote this down, I'm going to tempt you with her voice when the gazer stone talks to you. And so I'm doing things like that where I'm early on asking some questions and I'm keeping notes and then I'm just saving that so that if I need it, I can lob that grenade into the room and like twist some heartstrings and really make it feel like this scene which has been pre-written is now a bespoke scene that is tailor made for their characters. And it can be both. So there's a bit, like you say, like, you know, we're running games without a script. But even in games where you're improvising, if you've run games enough times, you always kind of have a formula in your head or you want to. Like, Masks encourages uh, you to come up with hooks between characters. So you have your player and you assign two NPCs to that player. And then you have a different stat that they're tugging on. Because in masks, the stats move up and down as adults interact with your character. But you can do that in any game. You, you find a, an attribute or, or a character trait and you assign an NPC to that trait that's important to that player. And then you assign another NPC to a different trait and you have them both interacting with the same player, pulling them in two different directions. And it creates that triangle of drama that then just creates a story that you'll just reveal and you can then do the same thing with your plots and you know they want you to write in masks in advance what is your villain what is their goal, what are they going to accomplish if the players do nothing, and then have it broken down into, so in the first act, the portal opens, in the second act, the invasion begins, and in the third act, if nothing's been done, they begin to terraform Earth, and in the fourth act, the portal envelops the entire planet, and the planet itself is transported to an alien dimension. So it has an escalation to it. So it's already it's scripted. So now I already know what the stakes are before we've even started the game, and it's very simple. I don't have a script. I don't exactly know how I'm going to pull all that off, but I kind of have a one, two, three, four beat to it. So this thing is going to keep growing, and you know, there, maybe there's ways to work that into any game you're doing.
1: Yeah, I think so. I mean, you've hit on a number of points through the course of that, and and the the one that I I really like is. In your head, having, if you want to call it waypoints, and going, okay, at this timestamp, this becomes, you know, something changes at this time. Yeah, you know, we've spent this much time doing this thing. Now we're going to do something else. And in mm-hmm. in this Sweetwater Bank game, you've clearly, you know, run it enough times and and thought about it enough ahead of time that that you figured out out to make that happen, which may not be the easiest the first time you're running something but But i
2: was doing that on terrible warriors for years with a different game every month and you know this is just also i'm not better at this i've just run more games and so you know this is something anyone can just learn by you just got to run games you just got to play them but have have a watch i mean i have add so i lose track of time because my brain cannot track time and so uh, I have to use tools in my day-to-day life to keep track of, have my phone beep or have a clock and alarms go off all the time so I, I know where I'm at. So I'm doing waypoints throughout my whole day. So I know that I, I need to have had my you know breakfast by this point. And if not, then when I'm working, I need to have this filed in by 1 p.m. And by 3 p.m., I need to have this in. If not, I know I'm falling behind. So I'm waypointing throughout my whole day. So maybe that's helped me running tabletop games or maybe running tabletop games has helped me with my day-to-day life. It might be a two-way street. That's a revelation that I just had now. Uh, <laughs> my therapy appointment is tomorrow at four PM. So I'm gonna bring this up with my with my therapist tomorrow. But running running these games, yeah, with Sweetwater Bank I had the advantage of running that over and over and over again. But when I was running masks for the first time on Terrible Warriors, when I was running and I didn't run Mouse Guard, um when I was running any of the games I ran, which you can find out, I still would block it out on what what do I wanna have by by the end of this hour. And you know, I eventually got to the point where, why am I having this conversation with myself? I started having it with my players as well. By the end of four hours, what do you want to have done? <laughs> and I have a point of interest for for you as well. Uh, but I would I would try and figure out, okay, like a TV show like you know, we were what we were talking before we recorded Star Trek Next Generation. A show like that, you always have a cold open, then the 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 credits would roll, and then it was broken up into three sections with commercial breaks. And that show's still got to be done in like 52 minutes. And, you know, act one would, you know, you, you'd you have like a slice of life. We're all relaxing. We're hanging out in 10 forward. And then the red alert goes off and a challenge is introduced. And we've got some outward force. And we're we're it's all mysterious. We don't really know what's going on. And we have to gather the clues and figure things out. That's every single beginning mystery in a good tabletop game, right? And then once you get to your second bit after the commercial break, which in our case is hour two now, you, you more or less should know what your quest is or your challenge is or what what it is that you're trying to do today. You know it doesn't always have to be combat or anything like that. I mean, but the second hour you you should know like the mystery is kind of not I mean unless you're doing a mystery, but like you know what you're doing. you're, 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 you're in it now.' You're, you're in the trench, you're you're working towards something. But whatever you're working towards, you want to have reached it, at least an hour before the end of your session, and then you then you get to have a nice little face-off where where your players have been gathering either equipment or clues or or trekking to a location and they've now reached that point. And if if you haven't reached it there because your map says you still have three more rooms to get through and you have to unlock the door, and you have to get over cut it out or or give them the clues if there's something in the room that you really need them to find give it to them tell them where it is you know they their their players are are professionals their characters are even if the player is not and ah oh, frick i've I, i've lost my train of thought because i started thinking too much about cthulhu but the <laughs> it, that happens to me a lot so where were we we were we, it was it was the it was Quantum Ogre Theory. Right, right, right. I was saying, it's not just like... Yes, Sweetwater Bank, I ran a million times. So I had that uh, the benefit to be able to repeat it over and over and over again. But when I'm running games for the very first time, like I ran Cartel, which I've never done on the podcast. I ran it at a, po- at, a at a convention at PAX Unplugged before in the before times. And I had never, never run that game before. And the people at my table had never played that game before. And I still had to do it in four hours. And we had a beginning, we had a middle... And then we had this great face off at the end where every character got to have like a final scene before they either got captured or killed or, or moved on. And it was so fun and satisfying, but it only worked because I was listening to them and I was following their beats, but also keeping track of the time. Like When I'm down to the final 60 minutes, at that point we need to be wrapping up. I can't be introducing more loose threads. I can't be introducing more challenges. If, if I still need you to fight another wave of goblins before we get to the final scene, i got, I got to get that out of the way. We need to, You need to be at that point so that you can spend time in your final scene because you want to let your players like swim in that pool. You want to let them breathe and you don't want to feel it rushed. So you want to give them a good full, if you've got a four hour session, that final hour should be all for them where you get to just sit back and let them figure it out. And if they end early, Perfect. Then you get to have epilogues and you get to let them tell you what happens next and uh, and where do they want to go after, you know, if, if they end up killing your necromancer ahead of schedule, that, that can be fun too.
0: Yeah. Let me ask this. When you're sitting down with a new game, especially something like that, that you're planning on running at a con, are you looking at, so you're obviously looking at everything of the game, right? When you're looking at the rules, are you assessing what rules you feel you could toss out the window to make this more streamlined
2: yeah i mean cartel was uh i had an advantage it was a powered by apocalypse game and i have played a lot of powered by apocalypse games and, and once you play enough of them you start seeing variations on themes and you see how they're blocked out uh, but it doesn't matter what game i'm doing if i'm doing it at a con because also with cartel i wanted to also create characters i wanted them to have their own original characters i didn't want to pre-make them so i knew that was going to take up at least the first hour and maybe a little bit more depending on how comfortable the players are. And this is a chance for them to also acclimatize to the world and give me some origin stories. I didn't know, obviously, going in, because it's being a PBTA game, I don't know what the scenario is going to be because it depends on which playbooks the players use. In a Power by Apocalypse game, the rules sit on the player side of the table, not the GM side. So it's up to them to tell me what story they're going to play. So it's up to me, then, to listen take a lot of notes, draw a map if I can, either a physical map of where the game is taking place or like a game like Monster Hearts where you play as teenage monsters in a high school setting. I find it's much better to draw a social map, draw where the uh, the enemies and the friends and the lovers are and the broken friendships and just start connecting lines so you can see where the webbing is. When I did that on Terrible Warriors, I noticed that every single character had written in that they had some kind of animosity or... Alliance with the person who was running the bank and one person's father was the owner of the bank I was like well there we go. That's my villain right in the center. He's he's got his finger in everyone's pie so I, I I had this great twist at the end that he was He had he had sold his soul to the same devil that one of the other players had and was running a cult with the adults That was just out of sight from all the teenagers so like the world itself was more monstrous than the teenagers realized and I was able to hold on to that, even though I figured that out during character creation in the first hour, and I didn't reveal it until the final one. So in a game like Cartel or or, or Root, where I hadn't played it in advance, and I was playing it for the first time, I know that the first hour is going to be introductions, a chance for players to also talk to me, to tell me about their characters, for the characters to talk to themselves, see where the drama lies. I'm going to be asking a lot of questions in that first hour. I'm going to be asking a lot of leading questions as well, because my players might not have answers. So instead of asking them who their favorite character in class is, I might ask them, so the person who sits behind you every day, you know, the person who's always throwing stones at the back of your head, who are they again? And, you know, those kind of leading questions that you'd never be allowed to do in court you can do on a tabletop game and they'll fill in the blanks for you then by the second hour i'm going to start reining things in because my players aren't going to be doing any more world building that much because i've got at that point i should have hopefully a nice roster of npcs and drama i know what their hopes and dreams are and i want to crush them and so i start throwing things their way in a power by apocalypse game like cartel or Monster hearts or masks. I might not, I might have a couple of things I'll throw at them, and see which sticks. So in our terrible warrior run of monster hearts all those years ago, the actual challenge originally was that the teachers were eating the students. It was a cannibal story. You wouldn't know that because it never happened on the podcast. It never came up. <laughs> Everyone got caught up in their own internal drama and it ended up being about the dad and this like the the adults delivering wine to his house that were actually blood, and. So the second and third hours are there. They're, that's where the actual game is being played in the middle where your, your players are a bit of an arm wrestle. They're, they're going to test the boundaries. They're going to maybe push against the rules of the game. Uh, they might try to go left. We want them to go right. And that's when you just make wherever left is, is where right would have been. Like you, nothing matters. Everything changes. You're, you're literally allowed to make it up as you go. And, All of this, though, is fueling this engine that I'm taking notes and taking these ingredients so that, you know, in our event in Cartel, someone was... You know, He had revealed in the game that he wanted to flip and, and be an informant to the cops. Another person was a grandmother who had come out of retirement like John Wick and had to like kill a whole bunch of people to save the cook. And and I've got all this stuff, and it's clear that there's a showdown going to happen soon between this particular cartel and the Federales. They're going to come moving in, and everything's going to get blown up, and everyone's secret lives are going to be exposed. And so in the final hour, I have the El Jefe character, who we had never seen before, who was spoken about in the background, show up in the car, and pick up the player, our cook, put him in the back seat. And rather than have him in the final scene with the other players, I had him in the car with the big mob boss looking over the cliff, watching everything from a distance. He's still rolling dice, but he's rolling dice in like this social arm wrestle as this this mob boss is grooming him or teaching him some lesson and then it's going to cart him away like Jesse Pinkman in Breaking Bad into some like undisclosed location where he's going to keep making drugs for them. And I didn't know I was going to do any of that in advance. But at the final, I guess, the final hour. So I would block it out. I'm sorry, I'm going around a lot because I, I, I didn't, I don't have the formula written down. But what I always do in all my games, and you'll probably be able to see this in Terrible Warriors. First hour is introductions, lots of questions. Second and third hour is the challenge and the exploration, getting around, pushing the edges. And then the fourth hour is when I just, as a GM, put all my cards on the table face up. And I just stop holding any secrets. And I start telling you, if you haven't figured it out by now, this is what I'm actually doing. And, this, and I, I, I just don't be subtle. If you're, if, you're, if you're holding too many secrets and you don't tell your players what's going on, they're not going to know. And so um, I let them see the shifty eyes. I let them see the knife I'm holding behind their back. I let them know, you know, like a good pro wrestling scene. I just I, I be obvious about it. Put all my cards on the table and I hit them with everything I've got. And then I see what they can do and we make it to the end. And I guess that just sets me up with the only real advice I could offer. Thank you for coming to the end of this rant. Play Worldwide Wrestling, the role-playing game. <laughs> I, I, I like it. Is I don't care. I don't. I don't really. Want, I don't care about pro wrestling, not really. But pro, but Worldwide Wrestling, the RPG, and I am not being hyperbolic about this. Is the best tool I've ever had that teaches me about building momentum, generating heat between players and telling a character arc in short bursts. So Mm. that might be where I would say I have learned the most about pacing because the rules of the game are all about characters show up, They start cutting promos. They're trash-talking each other about the match that they've been booked to do, and they're building up heat. As they cut promos, they build up a currency in the game called heat. Heat is then used in the match to generate momentum, which is used to boost your die rolls. And as you win on those rolls, you generate audience, which is then used to upgrade the whole promotion, which is then used to then snowball into the next event where you cut promos and you build up heat as your heat builds up between two players so heat is a specific currency between two player characters heat has a maximum amount once it hits that maximum amount they must fight it out and resolve all that trash talking in one fight once that fight is done regardless of how it happens all the heat is burned out and they go back to zero and they start all over that arc has been resolved and so maybe i've subconsciously put this into every game i run now where i'm building up heat between players and non-player characters to that boiling point and then once they hit that critical mass they have to face off and we have to resolve that and then see where it splashes and then start all over and world-wide wrestling the role-playing game is a great one-shot game so without even realizing it you will have done yes it's in a wrestling match but you will have had a story arc from beginning middle and end in three hours no problem that's just how it's written and then you learn part of the i'm not a wrestling fan i keep saying this but part of the beauty of pro wrestling is that it's storytelling inside out it's all the guts are on this table that shows you who the villain is and who the hero is the second they walk onto the ramp you know who to boo for you know who to cheer for it's not a subtle art form. It's not supposed to be a subtle art form. And maybe there's just sometimes as a GM, we're a little too subtle. We're a little too secretive. We don't want people to know what we've got, like the spoilers or the hidden mysteries of Simbaroom or all the bits where the traps are hidden or what the loot is. But that subtlety will, will will suffocate your game because you're excited, but your players don't know why you're excited because you haven't told them because you, 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 you know, it's waiting around that corner. So let them know what's around that corner, even before they turn the corner so that they can be just as excited as you are.
0: Okay. So then my next question, and I, I love everything you've said so far. So let me ask this. So when you're running a long form game, which you at Terrible Warriors have just started breaking into this, well, more so, are you just taking that time and stretching it? Are you saying rather than two hours, you're going,
2: here's the secret. We still recorded in four-hour chunks. Okay. I just did it over the course of a month. We did it every Sunday,
0: so so you're still following that same formula. You're just
2: to a degree. I I kind of know now how much an hour is going to take because I'm not really doing it in four-hour breaks, but I am still doing it in one-hour episodes. So I still kind of want to have like in our game. I wanted to have us get to the point in our first episode to where you got onto the caravan and you're on your way to the mountain. And I wanted each episode to kind of reach a certain beat. So, you know, it just happened that that tutorial mission that we ran at the beginning of our syndrome campaign was already broken up into like four acts. It's like, there we go, there's four episodes. And we didn't actually get it done in four episodes. We got it done in six. I broke one of them up into a couple, but there's the moment where there's a thief and they have to go and get the, the, the thing and get it back. And then, then, there's, then there's a reveal of elves in the mountain and want to have a meeting. And then there's a showdown on the mountain. And all of those just felt like that's a ho- that's an episode. That's the episode. And so I'm I'm even though I'm doing them in four hour one-shots, like as I've explained when I'm doing Sweetwater Bank, when I was doing cartel, when I was recording Symbrum, I'm act- I'm doing them in one hour bits. That's the easier way. Like I'm breaking them down into s- mini little bits. I-, I want to have accomplished in the first hour that introduction. I want to then into the second hour, I want to have some kind of challenge. But even in Symbrum, we were doing whole arcs in one hour, not just breaking them up into four-hour chunks. Because when you're running a game at a table, you you sh- you, go, you need to take breaks. You need to stretch and have some water and walk around the room. So do it in one-hour bits and try and see how you can pace that out. So you're not just doing, I don't want to do the same thing for four hours. That sounds terrible, really uh, mind-numbing. I have ADD. I need novelty. I need to keep things going. But the secret when we were recording syndrome is we did. We recorded them in four hours hour sessions every week so i still had that four hour arc to work with i just wasn't editing I, I was just allowing things to end on cliffhangers a lot more but they're still ending on a cliffhanger they're not just ending in the middle i wanted to get to good points where it's like and that's where the episode ends because i'm even when i'm recording these games i'm thinking like a podcaster so i'm wondering like oh how's this going to sound how's this going to pace what am i going to do there and i'm a little terrible but when you're running a game with your friends yeah just keep your phone on the table and know what time it is don't lose track of that time. See where things are going. And if you see that it's lagging and and they're spending more time on something that you plan to or or things, you need to run that throttle. You need to speed up when you need to catch up and you need to also slow down if they're getting too ahead. And the slowing down can be fun because you can have a moment to breathe and ask your questions. As players, like, how are you doing? That's, that, was, that was a pretty rough fight or that was a rough challenge. Or let there be a moment for them to all just make eye contact with each other and talk to each other rather than just constantly throwing them into a gauntlet unless you're playing Morkborg in which case keep throwing them into the gauntlet that's literally the entire game (laughs) but yeah it through so so Symburum you were asking me like how was it like to break into into long form games but that was that was the sneaky little trick and that I tech I I wasn't it just happened that I was playing the same game for four weeks in a row but they were all done as sessions cuz i'm i'm playing i'm playing with my friends i'm still doing a session i don't want to send them home feeling unsatisfied and so they 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 stitched together into a long 12 episode arc but they were all recorded in in bits as well so that when we came back we would have to recap ourselves cuz a week has passed so we'd remember what was going on But then as I started reading through the Symbroon book and going, okay, well, that's going to take us at least an hour. That'll take us an hour. That'll take us an hour. And I realized it was in order for us to even make it to the end of Wrath of the Warden, which was the campaign we were playing at the end of our Symbroon run, it was going to take us at least seven or eight more four-hour sessions to get to the very end. It's like, that is so... It's amazing that they wrote that much content in such a small book, but I don't like rushing my players through a bit. So what you might think would only take 30 minutes, probably double that. That's going to take you an hour. might take you more. Our first hour on Simbarum is them sitting at a campfire, telling them their story to me, Then being told that the caravan is leaving in the morning, so they need to petition the caravan owner and he gives them a trial of combat to prove their mettle if they can go up there. So there's one short little fight. And that's all we got done in that entire hour. Sitting at a campfire, please let us join you, fight to first blood, end of the episode. It's three things. It's all. It's all uh, my, my game notes are very short. They fit on a single little business card size thing. Because you don't have a lot of time in that one hour. Second hour, this is spoilers if you haven't listened to episode two. They're walking up the mountain. I give them a chance again to talk to some players, uh, to non-player characters, build some friendships so that they feel uh, warmth to them because I know they're going to die later. So I want them to feel attached. Then there's a cry. Something has been stolen. They have to track down the field to the location of the thief. There's a confrontation with the thief. He folds like a card table. The real bad guy shows up. They've now walked into a trap. They need to take the item that they've recovered. They need to fight their way through the trap, get back to the caravan. That's three things. Again, like, it's not a lot of stuff that you're doing each hour. You can over-prepare a lot. And when you're running a module, like something from Wizards of the Coast, like, they'll they'll let you think that you can do a lot more in the time than you actually can. When, realistically, you're going to get enough time in a Dungeons & Dragons game for, like, one combat encounter an hour. And that's being generous. Yeah. Depending on that. Whereas, you know, if you're playing by the hard rules, that one freaking fight might take the full four hours, uh, which is why I prefer like not tracking hit points, because I don't want to do that. I wanna let let the minions drop in one hit and then let the villain take a couple on the chin. And if you know if they're really messing up the die roll, the villain's gonna win. And if they're doing really well and working together as a team, I'll let them have that moment when the time is right. And you know, you're still to a degree letting the die roll determine the outcome, but not like a video game. You're not beholden to the math. You're beholden to the narrative pacing. And I want, and also like, I want to be done. I, uh, at the end of that thief story, I wanted to be back at the caravan because I had plans for hour three and I want to stay on that. So if I run out of time, then maybe my villain would get frustrated and retreat and go, ah, I'll get you next time. And he just runs away or, uh, or something else happens. Maybe I had a, a, it didn't happen in the podcast, but there was a possibility if we needed, the extra help that the caravan themselves would show up as reinforcements and they would hit the bad guy from the rear and then he would retreat. It just happened that my players in the recording hit them with the equivalent of like a small nuclear blast. And so that made my job easier. Okay. Well, I guess he's gone, but you know, I'm, I'm always thinking of like, can I, what, what can I bring in? Is there, is, is there anyone in the wings that I can bring in to help speed it up or slow it down if I need to, but I also want to, I want to get to the next bit on time. So even in those four hours, I'm, I'm really breaking them down into three or four waypoints, as you put them. I, I know where my landmarks are on the map. I don't exactly know how I'm going to get to the landmarks yet, but I know where those X's have been placed, and I want to reach those waypoints. And if I don't reach them on time, then I need to find out where my detour is, or how important is that waypoint? Can I skip to the next one? Because I, I, I want them to see what I have planned, and I, and I also want to see how they react to it. As much fun as doing the combat is, I'm not playing to watch them roll die and fight goblins. I'm playing for them to get to the throne room and decide on whether or not they're actually going to reach out and touch that cursed item. That's for that. That's the good stuff. I want to get to that stuff. the The challenges along the way are part to pad for time, part to build up that experience. If you're if you're the kind who wants to track that, and so you can earn loot and and level up your character. If you if you're playing it more like that kind of game, but also I'm using the combat to Test my players to find out what kind of people they are. Are they the kind who are actually going to fight these goblins, even while they're begging for their lives? Okay, that tells me a lot about what kind of people you are now. So, that's I'm going to use that against you later. Never done on the podcast, but I used to run a game where they would fight bandits. Bandits would have cost them on the on the on the road, and they cut them down. And they get into the village, and there's this like woman putting up clothes, talking about how her husband's out working today. And you just realize that you've killed him. He's a bandit that you've just killed, and. that's what, that's what you get. If you keep fighting to the death, that's what you get. You don't have to kill everyone you see for goodness sakes. My GM did this to me when I was in high school. Uh, we got into a bar, a bunch of other adventurers walked in all dressed in huge heavy expensive epic armor picked a fight with us in the bar we drew our weapons we cut them down they all dropped really quickly until we pulled off their helmets and found out that they were actually the children of the heroes who had stolen their parents armor and were out on a night in the town they basically stole dad's car and were (laughs) ripping around the bars and we just murdered the four heroes of this city their children in a bar fight and we can't stay in town anymore like we're all wanted
0: Oh, wow. <laughs> we got to go.
2: <laughs> and and a lot of people play Dungeons and Dragons thinking that they do want to fight to the death because they think they're playing like with video game rules. And I just love upending that expectation. And so I, no, I don't actually care about the combat. I care about your characters and their arcs and their stories. So I prepare very, very little into any, even in our Simbroom game in that way, I was playing a pre-made game that was written by Free League. I was going I was, I was. was going through that content at a snail's pace because I wanted to have moments every episode where Alindra and Yandrame could meet and talk about what they're trying to do, where Verd could make his tea and have nightmares and wonder why it is he's carrying these kids off to meet their parents. He hates them. And have moments to let them breathe and let my players generate content for me as well. I want them to tell me a story, even if they don't know it. And so Sweetwater Bank that game I ran at the restaurant is a walk in the trail, a challenge with a giant. The goblins have run underground. You chase them and you have a showdown with their benefactors. Then you have to decide what you do with the information you've learned. That's four things in four hours. That's all it is. And if you can't count your story beats on one hand, you're not going to get it done in one session.
1: Well, see a couple of things that that I noticed here. And one, I like... How you know you you and look, some people love the combat side of gaming and good for them. I enjoy it, but like you said, that's not really what I'm there for. At that point it becomes more of a board game or a video game.
2: Well, and even even Wizards of the Coast, bless them, they think that their game has three pillars exploration. What was it exploration combat and social or something like that it could have fooled me because the entire book looked like it's just for combat. But you, when you're, when you're planning your time out where you four hours, it's not just the content that I'm creating as a GM. I'm also leaving an intentional like hour and a half of time just for my players to talk to each other. If you're going to run out of time, if you don't prepare to sit back and just let them role play, that's the, that's the other part that we're doing. And if you, you've only got four hours, expect that half of that is going to be them generating content for you. You're only actually creating very small little prompts to push them into the next scene. And then you need to sit back and give them 45 minutes to just sit in that room and figure it out. Maybe it's done through combat. Maybe it's done through a puzzle. Maybe it's done in a bar or on the trail on their way to town. And the bard is playing a song and it's pissing off the fighter. It has nothing to do with what I just did. It's just them being them. Let them breathe it out. And then once you feel like that scene is kind of running out of steam or starting to wind down or you're just going around in circles, have an explosion off in the distance to draw their attention back into the story. But you want to have those ebbs and flows in. And then after the giant is defeated in my Sweetwater campaign, they're standing in the, in the, in the town square going, oh, my gosh, what do we do now? And they have another moment to meet NPC players, to talk to each other, to compare notes, breathe (laughs) before they descend into the cave underneath the town where the goblins have run off with the meat. And then when they find the goblins and they find out what the goblins are really doing and they either bring them on board their team or they slaughter them all mercilessly because they're all monsters, there's another moment to then take stock. Unless I'm running out of time. At that point, they don't get to breathe and I'm just going to literally push them down the cave and have the final showdown. But I have to generate... You know, four hours, that's two hours for my players and only two hours for me. And then you spread it out.
1: Yeah, but look, it it strikes me because I know on, on various places, you know, where there's gaming conversations, so much of it centers around combat related things. And I think if you're going by hard statistical combat, even though that should theoretically be more predictable because you could analyze it statistically, it's not. Yeah. And it feels slower too, I think.
2: Yeah. I mean, it, it depends on your combat game, right? If you're playing an OSR game like Morkborg, the combat is fast, but it's also constant. Like that's the, the kind of the whole game. Like you make a, your characters only have like a couple of hit points. They're going to die a lot. So you have a stack of characters that you're constantly re-rolling right. and throwing yourself into the meat grinder. But even in that kind of setting, I didn't run it on the podcast, but I did run it. Uh, we we created characters on a, on a Session Zero episode and... um and I ran it for for our Patreon listeners as our monthly game, in that session... Even then, like the push wasn't the players. The players' characters are constantly dying, but they're pushing, they make it to the next room. And they just got to push, and they make it into the next room. And like each room became like a story and a character arc because the monsters they were fighting and the channels they were up against, each each room had like this flavor to it that you just drip into it, and the music is blasting as you're going through into the next, and you finally reach the, the, the prince that you're there to rescue, and you're trying to, because you've got a, a, a silly story, hopefully, built around why you're in this dungeon. And, uh, in this scenario, they were all prisoners in the, in this thing. And the, this necromancer is sending you in to, or the seer is sending you in to fight the necromancer, but he, he only has enough power to see two players at a time inside. So they're not sending these prisoners in as a group. They're sending them in, in, in two by two. And as they die, they then send two more in. And that's how the player re-rolls their characters. It's just terrible but that's a story as well. Like there's, you're both playing the character who's about to die and all of the prisoners who have yet to go in next waiting in the bullpen to then be pushed into their suicide mission. Uh, and every single time that would happen, I would let my players find their new voice in their new character and, flesh it out just a little bit right up until they had their untimely demise and they would find a new character and it was fun but even in a game like that that is nothing but combat i still had to to my players to role play their scenes and to enjoy it and to feel as we went yeah or else i'm just i don't know the restfully rolled a combat die and i got to tell the gm how i hit the monster <laughs> or or if you kill the, land, the the killing blow all right how does he die That was the only time I ever got to add any detail into my game. It was soul-sucking. Everything else was then just text, wall of text being read to me that the GM had written in advance of all the things that were being said and described as we went through. that's the best thing you can do as a GM is stop talking. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Not to tangent, but that was my introduction to fourth edition. When I was in, it would have been junior in high school, I was like, oh, I want to get back into D&D. And um the only game I could find they called Encounters and that's literally all it was.
2: Yeah, like the Dungeon Delves. I think there's a whole yeah. book of Dungeon Delves in fourth edition. And yeah. Those those were great. We tried to record a dungeon delve on Terrible Warriors. Uh I think I have the unaired episode somewhere. We spent four hours in a single room. I <laughs> never got out of it. I'm like, oh this is this is unplayable. Um <laughs> But I mean, teach their own some, you know, if you're if you're playing the game for the challenge of like a combat simulator, I think they're, you're having a different conversation than the one that the three of us are having tonight. Oh, yeah. If you're trying to pace out your story or your arc, even like in games that I have both scripted in advance or are playing off of a module or are improvising as I go, it's always got the same story beats. I want to start the first bit with a chance to just meet my players. I need to know who they are today. And even if it's an ongoing game, I need to know where they are now. So like where where, where are my players at and their characters? It's a bit of a twofold play. I need to know mentally what they want to do today. And it's a bit of a check-in. And that's going to be your first hour. I'm not going to start much after that. We need to wind into it. Then I have my middle. And the middle is where things get weird. But... Even during the middle, I have to be thinking, if I don't know yet what my last hour is going to be, I'm looking constantly for that opportunity, for that final push. Once we get to the last hour, now we're over the hill, we're working our way to the finale. And if we're not working our way to the finale in those final 60 minutes, you are going to just run out of time. And sometimes that means you have to make shortcuts. You have to push them along or change the order of events or something it's easier if they get to your finale ahead of schedule because then you can just pontificate and you can go off on like evil villain rants and speeches or whatever. You can, you can flower it up. You can slow the game down, but it's a lot harder to speed the game up (laughs) if you've run out of time and you want to get there. So give yourself that room. And for me, I can do it in an hour, but if you need an hour and a half, you need two hours you need to figure out what your speed is and book that in, you know, you might not have a script, but you can at least have a, in, in radio, we have a, it's called a time clock where you take your hour and it looks just like the face of a clock, like a, tw- like a, like a round clock broken up into pie sections. So you have like your news is the first five minutes and then it has a 60 minutes for commercials. And then your first segment of the show is six minutes. And then you've got three minutes for commercials and you're, and you're building this pie and you're, and until you have the full clock. You might hear some people in the radio talk about the top of the hour and the top of the hour is, is when, the, when the minute hand and the hour hand are at 12 o'clock. And then you have the bottom of the hour is your halfway point in that hour. So you're, you're, you're breaking your hour up into all of these segments and you're watching that clock go. And so you might not have your story script, but you should have a show clock for your game and maybe maybe that it would be an easier thing if if you're having a hard time tracking actually draw a pie chart and block out your session and where do you want to be on that clock and actually move the hand across it are you ahead of schedule or are you not and if you're falling behind how can you speed it up and catch up so you you don't get caught off guard when you want to be in your final showdown and you're nowhere near it so you can pace yourself as you go by having by having a clock like that.
1: I, I want to go back to something that you mentioned and you were talking about how, you know, your your introduction phase and, and so on. And you just sort of repeat that in a longer form. But I think some of it, too, and, and tell me if I'm just reading this wrong, but in, in some ways in a long form game, you're somewhat subverting that introduction because as opposed to the players introducing themselves to you, you're introducing new NPCs to the players. Yeah and getting their read on them.
2: Star Trek Adventures. I mean, Star Trek is, every episode of Star Trek begins with Captain's Log, right? So you need to have that at the beginning of your session. Even if you've got recurring players and a recurring story, when I was doing Star Trek Adventures, I would hand our captain the log to read, and he would role-play it, but he would be telling my players the information I needed them to know about today's orders. And there's a bit of, yeah, I'm introducing the world, I'm introducing the new characters, and I'm informing them on what we're, we're, we're planning to do. Hopefully, you've had that conversation before you've even started playing, though, in advance on Discord or wherever, where you're just chatting about what you want to do this weekend. It is okay to meta talk with your players and ask them, would you like to do a more combat-heavy session this weekend? Or are we all feeling rom-com and we want to just have in-the-town Dungeons & Dragons 6 in the city? Like, that's fine, too. talk, Play the game they want to be playing. But when you're actually in it... Yeah, that first introduction, even if you know who the characters are, I still want to know where they're at now. Like In Simbaroom, we have our introduction around the campfire in our first episode, but when we skip ahead to the city, Elandra and Yandra may meet at a well, and I spend the first 30 minutes of that episode just letting them talk at the well, debating with each other. I didn't do anything. We had to, <laughs> we had to get things going a little bit to get us to the end of that episode, but every chance I got, I would let them talk to each other and check in with each other. They're not even checking in with me. It's just player-to-player conversation that I can then listen in on and take all these notes down as they're going, keep track of what it is they're actually interested in. And that can tell me what I should be keeping and what I should be cutting as well. If they're much more interested in one certain part of my story... I should be moving towards that. And if they're not interested at all in this other detail I've been bringing in, no one's talking about it amongst themselves. I mean, read the room, take the hint, cut it out of your game. You won't know if you're not letting your players talk. So yeah. even, even if you know your players, and you've already done character introductions. Every single start of every single session should at least begin like Star Trek with Captain's Log Supplemental, where they catch you up on where they're at today. Some games, if you're playing long form, might pick up immediately after the last session ended. Others might pick up a few days have passed, and you're still at your camp, right? Like you might you can use those opportunities between sessions to do a time jump. Uh, well, okay, what did you do during that time? Were you working? Were you sleeping? Were you uh, are you finding other forms of personal enjoyment or or vices? Like, let me let you know. I want to check in with with my players as well, and it's it's also a bit of um. I know we talk about safety mechanics around here as well. It's also a way to subtly work that in without doing safety mechanics at the table, like listening to your players and hearing what they're into. You can also kind of gauge where their energy level's at and and how much they're, you know, if, if they're not 100% there or they might have been having a bad week or they don't have the spoons for it, but they want to come and spend some time with their friends. I mean, read that into it as well and... and you know have fun with your game but maybe don't do the murder of the players parents arc this week and <laughs> go somewhere else you can use that as a as a nice wonderful way to you know, at the Stormcrow Manor, when I ran the Sweetwater Bank games as a DM for hire, that first bit on the trail with my new players was also a wonderful way not just to learn about their characters, but also to learn about how comfortable they were feeling that day, how engaged they were going to be, who was gonna be the quarterback and who was gonna be the wallflower. And then how can I get that person who's sitting at the back? and wants to hide into the corner, how can I maybe encourage them to draw in or at least make them feel comfortable? And if they want to be in the background, that's fine. They're they, they're welcome to. But maybe they're in the background because they're worried of any number of things. So I'm subtly trying to just read into that. And if I see someone at the front who's just doing all the talking and, and, and taking control from the table, is there a way that I can rein that in or encourage them to collaborate with everyone else? Again, I, I would never know that if I didn't, Give space for them to offer that up at the beginning of our sessions, and even if you know the characters, I think you need to do that every week with your players, just to find out where their emotional state is. If that makes sense.
1: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense.
2: And that's going to help you with your pacing. It, it will. It, you know, if your energy levels might be there and theirs won't be, and that that that's going to help you go through. So, you know, under prepare. Like, don't over prepare. I never write scripts because. It's never it's never going to work out that way. And keep track of your time or block out your clock. You won't have to write a script, but think at least before you play, wh- what do you want to do in this hour? And where do you want to have those those story beats? If you could have it your way, how would this session end? And even if you're going into a game where you have no idea what the story is going to be because it's going to be like a power by Apocalypse game improvised in the moment then, then think in broader story terms. Okay. Introduction, mystery, showdown. And I want to start my showdown at 345. And that kind of helps you move things along so that you don't, um, go, oh crap, it's five o'clock. We got to go home. All right. I guess we'll just finish here. (laughs) No one is satisfied.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I've, I've picked up a lot and it's weird because listening to you, you talk about all this stuff, like I have a hard time articulating the points that you've made, but I understand them. And I think that doesn't make any sense, but welcome to my brain, I guess.
2: So let's wrap up, because I know you, you were, we're way over time, and I apologize for that. I just never stopped talking.
0: No, no, you're good. Oh, no, it's good, it's good. But, it's good. but
2: uh, Steve and Steve, the game that you were running that you ran over time, tell me about
1: it. Well, Well, having thought about it, I know some of what I did was, well, one, I had too many players.
2: Um. Oh, yeah. I mean, for every extra player, this is why I charge extra. When I'm when when i a DM for hire, I charge a premium for extra players because it puts a lot more work on the GM to get things done on time. At four people at a table for four hours, every player at the table may get about 20 minutes of gameplay. The minute you start putting six players at a table, but you still only have four hours... Everyone at the table is going to get 10 minutes of gameplay. Like it's a finite amount of time. You only have so much spotlight that you can share around. And once you get north of five people, at least what I found doing the podcast is you just get people thrown onto back burners where they just sit around for four hours. And they don't do anything, and I feel terrible for that. So I try to cap my games, or at least know which games are good for big groups and which games are good for small groups. Mm-hmm. But yeah, no, the minute you said you have too many players my first DN Dungeons and Dragons group, that group that I talked about in high school felt like a golden age of time. But we, we did get to a point where there was too many of us. We had to split up into an A group and a B group. Um, we had a little mm-hmm. schism because we just, it couldn't, it couldn't sustain itself. These, these, it's collaborative storytelling. So you need to have enough space at your table for your players to talk. You need to have enough time for your players to talk. And for every additional person you add to the table, that is going to take time away from everyone else. Or, They're not going to do anything, or you need more time. And you probably don't have the resources to do more time because once you get to a six hour game, everyone's just actually exhausted. Yeah. So, how are you going to navigate that so that everyone gets a moment in the spotlight? Games like Morkborg, where it's a gauntlet of games and players are only alive for a few seconds, can sustain more people at the table. But games like Masks, which is much more story focused, where you're trying to learn the hopes and dreams of your characters and the tugs and pulls on their stats, you're not going to have time to do that if you need to do it with six people. You just, you just won't. You just won't. You have, then you have to decide which player is going to be your spotlight player and, which, and then they all have to work to support that one person. And not a lot of groups would find that satisfying unless you had an intentional conversation before you started, we don't have enough time for everybody. So today we're going to be focusing on our new player and this is their origin story. And it's going to be like that episode on X-Men where Jubilee got introduced and it's all about Jubilee and like the other characters are just essentially doing cameo appearance.
1: Mm -hmm. So yeah, my, my first mistake I think was I had too many players. Then I tried to role play out introductions a bit too long where what I should have done because it wasn't, really important to the story was just, okay, you're all in the room. You're getting this briefing. Describe yourselves to each other and, and let's go, which yes, it's railroading in a way, but it's railroading that I think nobody cares about. You know what I mean?
2: Yeah. Yeah. And no, like the, the opening briefing can be every episode of Star Trek was railroaded (laughs) because it started with Kirk getting, he's up on the bridge and he just tells the crew what they're doing this week.
1: And then now that, that you bring up, and and I hadn't quantified it the way you just explained it with with the multiple players but during kind of the next phase part of what happened was I'm trying to give spotlight time to all these players and so it's bogging things down because I've got so many stops
2: yeah so this brings me back to that like if you're doing a pie chart show clock for your game you have to have enough Pie for all of your players. And if you add more players, well, they're going to need more pie. So are you going to take pie away from the players or are you going to take pie away from your own story? Because it's going to be one or the other. And I would rather take story time away. So when I ran Sweetwater Bank with big groups, I had a version of that game for a big group. I would split the party in half for one. So I would actually do two smaller groups and they would only get 15 minutes at a time. And even if they weren't done, I would be like, okay, we're going to come right back to you, put a pin in that, we're going to check in on the other team. And we're doing like picture in picture back and forth. I'm trying to keep it flowing. But because I've got more players, it also meant that all of my challenges are cut in half in terms of challenge difficulty. Everything has to move faster in the story because I want to spend more time with the players themselves. Even though I've actually, by splitting the group up, I it sounds like I've added more locations and more complications but what I've done is I've instead of having eight players in a cave I still only have four players in the cave and I got four players now taking a surface route and they're going to come through a hole in the river and drop down into the final chamber And they're going to meet all back up. And then the eight people will all be there for the final showdown against the boss, where, again, it doesn't matter how long that fight takes because at the final minute, he's going to explode anyways. And so they're they're, they're working against a, a, a stick of dynamite that's going to explode whether or not they succeed or fail. They just don't know that. But by splitting them up, at least half of the table is going to be quiet at any time. And so the four that are active can talk amongst themselves, but you don't have that same like too loud debate where they're all yelling on top of each other. That 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 slows, that, that eats up your time as well. And then I go, okay, put a pin in it. Let's check in with the other group. But I have to really watch my time because I don't want to lose track because if I lose track of time with group B, then group A is going to suffer. And my story at that point, Nothing matters in my story. I am letting my darlings die left and right, and I'm just moving them through. And I'm like, I'm shuffleboarding everything through as hard as I can, uh, just to let my players have moments where they can still feel like they're doing some kind of investigation. But it's just you're going to make compromises as you go. And so I, that's how I handled Sweetwater with a large group. It wasn't great, but my they, they all seem to enjoy it, uh, and and they all end up in the same room, and they all get to have the same choice. They all have the same amount of information to make the same choice at the end. They just all they just came by different paths. So, if I try to put eight people all through the one challenge, you get that three Stooges effect where they're all trying to walk through the door at the same time, and it just clogs up the system. So you need to find ways to um, to thin it out, and if you can, sometimes the the splitting the group up and doing like a picture in picture thing where you have, um, you know, the heist that's inside and you have the heist that's like outside and you can kind of do it like, like Ocean's 11. But sometimes that can help. Other times you all have to be in the same room together. And yeah, you're just going to have to find out who's going to be doing the talking and you need to let the group. The, what will happen, in, especially in eight groups, is it just gets noisy and it gets really difficult to hear individual people. You got to go around the table and get everyone's opinion. Everyone's going to take five minutes, five, 10, 15, 20, Oh, we've already spent half an hour with just five-minute introductions, mm-hmm. and and there's no way around that. It, they will just your players will eat time, and that's that's their food when they're at your table, and you need to give them the same percentage. So if you, I was just saying, if my players are going to take two hours of time in a four player game, and I'm going to add four more players into that game, they're now going to take up four hours in my four hour game. So something's going to have to give.
1: Yeah. Like I said, I having thought about it, I know a lot of the mistakes I made, but having this conversation with you is, is pointed out some things, you know, where like you set waypoints, markers, whatever, that this is going to happen at this stage You know, like you said, you have the explosion in the distance, you have that thing that triggers the progression to the next scene, regardless of how far they've completed this scene to a certain point.
2: You're preheating the oven. And you know the oven's going to take three hours to get to temperature. But once the oven beeps and it's at temperature, it doesn't matter where you are. You need to get to that final bit and put it in the oven. Like, everything's heated and ready. And if, they're, if your players aren't ready, they don't have the information, that can be fun too. Put them against the final boss without knowing what to do or with being ill-equipped. Have them forced to retreat. Think of your game like a really elaborate cuckoo clock that is going you 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 you're winding it up you're winding it up you're winding it up and you press go and even if you don't know what's going on inside the cuckoo clock there are alarm bells that are going to ring whether or not your players do anything and where they are in that machinery can be up to them things are going to happen with or without their interaction and you know that that's easier obviously with a scripted game not as easier with a with a with an improvised game but even in an improvised game the cuckoo clock is happening. You just don't know, also yourself as the GM, what's inside it. But it, things are still going to pop out. The door is going to open, and a bird's going to start chirping at you. You just don't know what that bird looks like yet. But you know that at the three-hour mark, something needs to come out of that door, or, or else you're just going to have a boring game. I think.
1: Yeah. No. I, I. I. Yeah. There's. You know. I've. I've. I've learned a lot. Tonight. Let's put it that way. Have you? That's great. <laughs> or at least I think I. <laughs> at least have. one of us know. did. Um, <laughs>
2: Yeah, I I mean, the rest of it is, like, you learn by doing, run the games, go out and do it, have a stopwatch, try and hit your beats. But also, like, the games that have taught me personally the most about, like, pacing my games, Masks, a new generation from Magpie Games, uh, Worldwide Wrestling, the RPG by right here. Nathan Poletta, available uh, at ndpdesign.com. Yeah, uh, Worldwide Wrestling the RPG is like one of the best storytelling teachers I've ever had running a game. Star Trek Adventures has great advice on how to build challenges. Uh, Simbaroom's GM guide from Free League Games is, the GM guide has no rules. It is just essays written by the creator of the game to the GM on advice on how to run their game and how to block out stories and do create like your own original stories it's chock full of advice on how to do things when things don't go according to plan how do you keep things on time when your player doesn't want to go and investigate that what will happen if they ignore that important detail or how can you show them the detail if they're not looking at it um and it's it's it, the the simber book i was so grateful it had so much advice for me to help me pace through the game. And I wouldn't have been able to do the game we did on the podcast if it hadn't been for all the advice that was written into the books by the game's creators. But yeah, those those ones I think have taught me recently the most about running stuff. And then the rest, when the pandemic is over and you can go back to conventions, volunteer as a GM at your next tabletop convention. As scary as that sounds, do it. Just go out and do it. The people, volunteers that are running it, they're going to give you all the quick start tools, all the advice to run it through and then just do like, sign up for like seven games on the weekend to just do them all and just get through. And usually you even get a free pass to the convention if you agree to volunteer like that and you'll get in for free so you can you can have a good time. That's how I got to Gen Con. That's how I got to PAX Unplugged. But I also learned so much about running games and play those pickup games at, at those conventions whenever you can because you, as a player or a GM, you will just learn so much about doing stuff on the spot that you will then take to your regular gaming group and you'll have all these extra tools in your belt that you didn't know you had right on
0: yeah very cool well i think with that we're going to move into game of the week but before we get into that where can people find you justin
2: you can find me never posting on twitter at mr ecock m-r-e-c-o-c-k on twitter however you'd be better off following the Terrible Warriors on Twitter at Dice Warriors or visiting us at terriblewarriors.com. Uh, uh, we'll be back. Uh, the time we're recording this, we're in the middle of a holiday break, but uh, we've already got our whole next game recorded. Our entire Simberum game that Steve has been talking about uh, is available in its entirety of 12 story episodes, plus like an intro and a post game interview with the game's creator, um, Matthias Johnson-Hawka. So it's like 14 hours of good, content uh that's all available at terrible uh, there's links to all of our campaigns we've ever done we've been doing it for nine years there's a ton of games that you can click through they're all available on that website broken up into playlists if you follow us wherever you listen to podcasts, it makes sense in the last year, but the further back you go, the, the feed gets a little jumbled up because we were playing a lot of games at the same time. And so that's why I broke the website down into playlists to make it a lot easier to find the game you want to listen to and be able to listen to that without jumping back and forth between a whole bunch of other ongoing games. Um, so they're all there. All everything we've ever done is, is on the website. Uh, we're available anywhere you get podcasts. Uh, and, uh, and yeah, we also have a Discord server, which again, you can find out at TerribleWarriors.com. I come and say hi and yell at me. And that's all That's all there is. Uh, I run games for our listeners through our Patreon page. I don't know if you care if I plug that, but it's there. Go for it. And uh, all means. yeah, And all the links, TerribleWarriors.com. Just go there. It links to everything. I think the website looks really nice because <laughs> I made it. And so uh, that's where it is. And if, if if you like what we've done, please tell me. Leave a comment on our YouTube pages or leave like reviews or come tell me on Discord. I, I will take game requests on what we should be playing next, but I can tell you now I already pretty much have the next year and a half figured out in terms of what we're going to do and when, because those games are going to be awesome and that's what we're going to do. And so <laughs> I, was just, I was just thinking about like uh, with all this stuff that we kickstarted over the pandemic that are going to be coming out and playing. I was like, oh crap, that's, that's, I've got this season and next season all kind of figured out. <laughs> so yeah, that's, that's where we're at. Terrible Warriors. Terrible Warriors. Everywhere. Except Twitter, we have to be Dice Warriors because, fun story, Terrible Warriors is too many characters for Twitter by (laughs) one character. Oh. So that's why it's Dice Warriors. And Terrible Warrior is already taken by someone who grabbed it in 2012. Can't do anything about that.
1: Where can we find you, Steve? We have a Discord. We do have a Twitter. It's at at andRPGs. Most of that information is either in the outro or in the show notes, but we can be found most places if you look for us. Facebook, Twitter, Discord all over the place on Discord.
0: Very soon to be Patreon. Yes. Very soon soon. to be Patreon. Uh, Yeah. But with all that said, I think it's time we get into Game of the Week. Woohoo! Game of the Week. Game of the Week. Game of the Week. So, who wants to kick this off? I can go first if
1: you want to listen to at least one of us do this before yeah, uh, and i've
2: got 30 games so you tell me what yours is and then i'll try and pair it like a fine wine okay,
1: okay well i'll go and i'm actually going to go with a game that i discovered via your show justin
2: a terrible warrior
1: classic <laughs> and and this is a game that actually sort of somewhat maybe probably be a little hard to pace but ties into some of the things we've been talking about tonight and that's and ooh, that uh, game is masked. very interested no no i we use that one already yeah. <laughs> No, this is Noirlandia. Oh, which yeah. is and and I'm going to try and recap it from memory here. It is it's it's on itch, not on drive through, but it's a GMless co-op game. Yep. And the thing about it that I think that was really really cool is that it's it's completely intended as a one shot, but it's never the same game.
2: Ever ever ever. In fact, it's it's uh, shuffle a card deck and you draw cards. And those create your characters and your situations. And then you, if you, you have four players, but you draw five cards. So the fifth card that you don't pick is your murder victim. And then you're all trying to find out who done it.
1: Yeah, but as I recall from, from your playing it, you know, you, you collaboratively create the setting. Yep. And as if I'm not mistaken, doesn't it work that certain players get control of certain aspects of the setting?
2: You go one at a time. So each you go around the table, everyone gets a spotlight. Where they are their character is at the center of this table. And when the characters at the spotlight, everyone else can choose to play their characters, but they're all more or less playing the GM. And you can delineate. So if someone's role-playing in that scene, maybe they don't want to also be telling about the setting. So the person who's not role-playing a character in the scene, they can handle the setting and the the atmosphere. You can pair off those roles. But the uh Uh, You go around and the person who gets a spotlight, you don't get your second spotlight until everyone has gotten their first. So you don't have to go in the same order every time, but you do need to, everyone gets one and then you go for seconds and then you go for thirds. And the game kind of has a built-in self-destruct because depending on how many scenes you succeed or fail at, at the end of each scene, the player, the table will decide if that went well or bad for your character. And then that'll determine whether or not you're able to get new evidence for the investigation or if evidence is lost or destroyed. And if enough evidence is destroyed, you lose access to quadrants of the city that you're investigating. in. And if too many quadrants are, are um, removed from the game, then the, the, the mystery is over. You will never solve it. And you're chased out of the city and it just becomes a cold case. And so the game just, eventually self-destructs because there's only so many times you can do scenes before you either have gained enough evidence to find the answer or you've lost too much evidence and it's lost to you and so uh then and we found that to be true for ourselves the game just naturally wrapped up in uh in in four hours right on time because we we ended up getting enough evidence to be able to connect you it's cute you use a push pin board and you connect with red ta- uh, uh, string just like a, a conspiracy theory board or something and um, once you connect enough evidence you can generate one of the three answers you're looking for who did it wh- what did they, they do it with and you already know the where because you know where the murder happened but you don't know the why that's the other one you need to know the motive and um, so once you so once you have the uh, the who what and why answered then the game is over. so you either find your three answers or you lose the three quadrants. And then the game ends on its own, so it, 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 it's kind of like an hourglass. It's, kind of, it's really interesting how uh, you don't even have to try; it will finish on time. It might, maybe that was a good one to teach you pacing. It's a really good suggestion. I haven't thought about
1: that game for years. Yeah, well, and the other thing now, it's intended to actually be played with an actual cork board, and you pin things on it and use string and whatnot. Yeah, you could do it on a whiteboard. You can do it on. Um, you don't like. Uh, I was thinking for online play, you could do it with google docs or something yeah, i'm sure exactly. some way
2: yeah or or anything where because it one of the fun bits is they say like grab like empty receipts and like match boxes or anything you got lying around the house and just um turn that like get like a junk drawer worth of like a shoebox of like just random items that you can then just like pull out and they can put like a button and you put that on the, so it's it's a really fun game to play physically if you can play in a sim room. If you're playing it virtually, yeah, uh, you can, you still need to have a, a visual representation because it helps because you need to connect the evidence that has been added to the board and the board, the evidence needs to be connected to one of the four quadrants. So at the very least, uh, screen share MS paint, or something like that, or use there roll twenty because you can at least move things around on the board. You could probably play it very easily on roll twenty because the, the the table board would just be your 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 cork board, and uh, and then you can just grab random images off of Google and you just slap them up on the screen and that's your evidence. Google um, but, it, but you do need to be able to move it because the physical location on the board matters, and then you connect lines, and the lines need to have a an unbroken connection, and they can't connect to others that already have been used to form an answer. So there's, a, there's some rules that go into it so that it's, it's a fun physical game. It's excellent to play in a room, but um, there's probably very easy ways to make that work in a virtual environment. But you probably would want to look at getting like a virtual tabletop or a Roll20 kind of solution or at least something like um, something where you had like a whiteboard that you could all draw on, which some, yeah. some, uh, some, some conferencing softwares allow for that as well. Okay,
1: okay. Well, now that I've gotten you to explain my game of the week.
2: <laughs> I'm sorry. No, 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 I'm, I'm not. not regulating myself tonight.
1: No, no, it's all good. Trust me. You have a lot more experience with it than I do. And my experience was through your eyes. I just think it sounds like a really cool game. So I guess then, would you like to go next then? Or yes, did you want to go, Steve?
2: I you two fight it out. One. I'm I'm back. I, I, I stepped away from the microphone because you mentioned Norlandia. And I actually, wasn't. Well, this wasn't going to be one of my games I was going to mention as game of the week. But this uh, is a perfect pair to Norlandia. Also from Magpie Games, and I love everything they make. It's called Our Last Best Hope.
1: Have you heard of it? Actually, well, I, didn't you play this on the show once?
2: We did. We, we did. We played it on the show once. Uh, we, we crashed Nibiru into Earth, I think. Uh, Our Last Best Hope is also a GM-less game. And it's a game uh, where you are playing as a crew of people who are set up to save Earth or humanity from a crisis that will destroy them. And there is no plan B. And if you fail, everyone fails. So think of movies like Deep Impact, Armageddon, Sunshine, where uh, this is it. Uh, uh, the final, last, best hope, right? And, and it plays through that. And, and characters die through the game. It's a game of saving humanity through sacrifice. But even after you die, you keep playing the game on your turn as flashbacks either when you were training or younger or whatever in life unlike norlandia it has a wonderful uh tool for pacing in that you have a social scene that is interrupted by uh, a threat card so if you're playing four players when it's your turn on your spotlight like norlandia you play with the player across the table from you they're the one role playing with you And they might play a bunch of other NPCs or they might be the GM, but they're the GM. So it's it's more like a two-player game. The player to the left of you is shuffling through a deck of threats that you've all written in advance of things that are going to hurt the groups like so if you're in space might be micrometeorites or something hitting the ship so they're shuffling through the threat deck and they're going to pick out from that deck which one they want to introduce to the table and then the player to the right is doing something similar with another deck of cards for story prompts and so they're they're kind of doing the housekeeping while you role play with the person across the table from you and the role play happens, oh, that person to the right is playing the shipboard AI. So if you ever need a question about world building, it's not up to the group, it's up to whoever is the player to the right of the person currently in a scene. So they get umpire rules. They get to be the referee, which is kind of fun. So it's not, it's its, it's shared, but it's not collaborative. And uh, as the social scene plays out, when it feels like it's run out of steam, or if you're keeping track of time, you need to move on, the person with the threat card plays it into the table and interrupts the social scene with a red alert moment. And you do not get to do another social scene until the threats on the table have been dealt with. Once a threat has been dealt with and removed, which can be done through successful die rolls or the death of a character, you then move to the player on the left and they get their next spotlight. So it's got this peaks and valleys in the story where you have a moment of reflection and social interrupted by adrenaline pumping threat and worry, and then followed up with then dealing with the fallout of that scene. So it goes up and down and up and down. It's got a nice roller coaster feel to it that peaks and valleys your way to the final crisis. And just like Norlandia, it's a GM-less game that has the rules are kind of built with a die roll that it will just naturally reach a conclusion within four hours and you don't even have to push it. And there's some rules in the game on how to make the game last longer or how to make the game go shorter. It depends on how many... Throughout it, you're collecting a die pool. And once the die pool reaches a certain amount, it just triggers the next step of the game automatically, either the second act or the final showdown. It's really... It's a, it, I, love, I like Norlandia, but I love Our Last Best Hope. Uh, that's one I've played a few more times at conventions, and uh, it's, it's a wonderful, interesting game that you never know what you're going to play until you actually play it because the crisis is different every single time cool wheat
0: yeah so i guess that leaves me
2: yeah beat um, that steve those are two <laughs> I, terrific world building interesting genre breaking games Top yeah
0: it. i'm not going to i have a game that is what i would refer to as the game you play between games the game i have is tales from the floating vagabond it One sentence pitch is ludicrous adventures in a universe whose natural laws are out to lunch. The basic premise of this is that you're playing in a space bar, Um, meaning that a bar in space, classic pan dimensional multi genre, low comedy, and action adventure, overhyped game that completely wowed this one guy named Dave or Dan or something, is also straight from their drive through page. This game caught my eye because of the cover art. Which is just, it is it is bonkers. It's insane. It looks fantastic. Um, I don't know. I want to get my hands on it. It's like four fifty four on drive through right now. PDF. It's a staff pick for whatever that's worth. But um, man, this game looks fun. It looks cool. It looks weird, and that's what I'm here for. <laughs>
2: <laughs> and it sounds like you could actually just play it if if, if you've got players who like. We're going to set up to play one game and then some last minute cancellations came up and you've lost your gm and you're all still sitting around and you've all still booked your evening aside to play right you could just pull this one out of your back pocket and go let's do this one
0: yeah or or you know like i said the between game where you're like
2: yeah. oh we just came off a large campaign on no. this
0: and i don't really the want intermission to start game
2: the palette serious. cleanser game yeah
0: yeah yeah that's what i was looking at this i'm like yeah i would play the crap out of that looks fun looks easy like it, i don't know." Like I said, I don't know the rule system or anything, but it looks like a lot of fun. And like I said, 454 on drive through for a watermark PDF.
2: Oh man, I wish you'd gone first because then I would have paired your game with For the Queen or Fall of Magic or Zombie World.
0: Oh, for the Queen is so good.
2: It is. It's a, it's a terrific game. I played it over the holidays. Yeah. It's just, it's the best and like dark, but also wonderful and not what you expect ever. No. <laughs>
0: well. <laughs> With all of that being said, Justin, we want to thank you so much for coming on our podcast.
2: Yes. Um Please uh, let me go. Please free me. Yeah. Well, I'm hungry. Don't worry. I miss uh, my loved ones. I, I want to go home now.
0: All you got to do is run for the queen for us for the next six hours. And then.
2: Oh yeah. I've got it right here. I'm shuffling the deck as we go. Let's go. <laughs> this going to be fun.
0: <laughs> but no, we do want to thank you for coming on the podcast. And as always, you are link's... traveling
2: to a distant land to broker a piece. <laughs> The Queen has joined you onto your retinue because she knows that you love her.
0: <laughs> but as always, links to everything as mentioned are in the show notes. And with that, we do want to remind you to be kind to one another and get out there and play some RPGs. Yep. Yeah. Take care, y'all. Bye intro and outro music by the band 12 noon you can email us at me and steve at gmail.com you can find us on twitter at and rpgs find us on facebook at me and steve rpg podcast on discord at me and steve rpgs and as always all of these links are in the show notes thank you and be kind to one another A cigar cigar 20 bucks dog you got to go
2: down the street to the store and buy that from terrible warriors we
0: have um oh bollocks my <laughs> brain just completely derailed <laughs>
2: I just realized I, I didn't have my name up as my user on the Discord page. So I've now put my name so you can remember it. It's up on the notes. Um...
0: When you're oh, running. I don't remember
2: anything I've said. I disassociated for the last 20 minutes.
1: Mm. You're in I'll good send company. you the tape. <laughs> <laughs>
2: right. sound effects. There's, is there a sound effect that plays? Yeah, we have a yeah. sound effect. Oh, cool. Oh, yeah. Gonna, I'm gonna... just
1: not tech savvy enough
2: to. Yeah, no, it's fun. I have a soundboard. Was it the? A... <laughs> I don't know if you. I don't know if that actually made it through Discord. I just realized. No, it, it's just begin.
1: a weird gurgly noise.
2: Oh no! Okay, here. Uh, it'll be on the recording that I sent you, and then you can all laugh. Okay. Uh, How about this?
0: <laughs> there you go. There, that works.
2: What's really fun is this laugh track lasts just a little too long.
0: Yeah, it's it's, it's very. Just,
2: it's, it's just very not awkward. Funny anymore.
0: i I like it it's got that like um like bad adult swim sketch vibe where it just lasts just a little bit too long yeah just
2: just just let it linger until we're all just kind of questioning ourselves yeah
0: yeah too many cooks yeah (laughs) game of
2: the week (laughs) game of the week
0: game of the week